1: everybody. Welcome to this special episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. So in this episode, I had the distinct pleasure and honor to sit down with Dr. Margot Mountjoy at the IOC World Congress in Monaco a couple of weeks ago. And I recorded this uh, for the British Journal of Sports Medicine podcast, and Dr. Karim Khan was generous enough to allow me to share it on this podcast as well, so we can all support each other and share the wealth, and boy, does this podcast have a lot of wealth in it. But before we get to that, a little more information on Dr. Mountjoy. She received her medical education and her family medicine training at McMaster University in Canada, and her sports medicine specialty degree in Ottawa, Canada. She has worked as a community sports medicine physician in the Health and Performance Center at the University of Gulf since 1988, which she has focused on uh, her practice on promoting elite athlete care and physical activity promotion in the general population, In addition, she has acted as the National Team Physician for Synchro Canada for 20 years, as well as for the National Endurance Training Center athletes. She is an Associate Clinical Professor in the Faculty of Family Medicine at McMaster University, where she also teaches sports medicine and is the Director of Student and Resident Affairs. She is a member of the FINA Executive Board and holds the portfolio of sports medicine. She is also a member of the IOC Medical Commission Games Groups Group, and her areas of research focus on elite athlete health and safety. So what did we talk about in this podcast? We, today we, sp- we speak about psychological abuse and injury in sport. We talk about what it is. What form does it take in the world of sports, from children up through the professionals? How psychological abuse persists with the use of social media, especially for the millennial generation? How competitive sports culture can enable abuse? The role healthcare professionals, especially physical therapists and physicians, because oftentimes we're on the front line, the role we can play in preventing abuse, signs and symptoms of psychological and sexual abuse, and a lot more, and also... Some some things of what we can actually do as clinicians to really help these patients. Psychological injury and abuse can certainly lead to other forms in, of, of abuse. That has been shown. Dr. Margot Mountjoy uh, gives such a great uh, interview in this podcast. And I'm really thankful to her and thankful to Dr. Khan for allowing me to share this with all of you guys on my podcast. So I hope that you enjoy it. And I hope that this just raises awareness about something that's not talked enough about in sports and in sports medicine. So everyone, uh, thank you for tuning in, for downloading and subscribing the podcast, and please enjoy this great episode with Dr. Margot Mountjoy. Welcome to the BJSM podcast. I am Karen Litzy, and we are coming to you live from the IOC World Conference in Monaco. And I am honored to be joined today by Dr. Margot Mountjoy. She is a member of the IOC Medical Commission Games Group. She is on the FINA Executive Board with a portfolio in sports medicine. She is the chair of the Association for the Summer Olympic International Federation's Medical and Science Group and is a professor at McMaster University Medical School in Canada. So, Dr. Mountjoy, welcome to the BJSM Podcast. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about psychological injury and abuse in sport. And I was at your talk yesterday, which was fantastic. Um, But can you give the listeners a definition of what is psychological injury and abuse in sport? I think that's the important question, first of all, to define what we're
0: talking about. We know that sport has many benefits for athletes, both from a physical perspective and a psychological perspective. The benefits for mental health and physical health are well well known in in, in the literature and we encourage everyone to become physically active. We do know, however, that at the elite level in sport, as one increases along the continuum, that there are risks to health through physical injury or illnesses, and what, we are, what I'm talking about is the psychological challenges that athletes can sometimes a, a, ha, encounter during their course of elite sport. Psychological abuse in particular, to be defined, is a pattern of deliberate, prolonged and repeated non-contact behaviours within a power differential in, in the relationship. So what that means, it's a form of abuse that's the core of all other forms of abuse, and it is affecting the psyche of the athlete. It's emotional, social, and psychological. Now the other forms of abuse psychological can lead to include uh, physical abuse,
1: sexual abuse, and neglect. And what, what, what are the mechanisms of abuse? So within, a, within the sports paradigm, what are the mechanisms of that abuse? So, abuse and harassment occurs when, first of all, there's
0: a differential in power relationships. And it might be a sex differential, like as in male versus female. It might be a sexual orientation, hetero versus non-heterosexual. It could be race, ethnicity, age, athletic ability, faith, economic status. Those differentials cause a power differential. That leads to the harassment and abuse and it can be delivered through a variety of mechanisms within the sport context, including contact behaviours, non-contact or verbal behaviours, cyberbullying, social media bullying, negligence, hazing or um, through um, mechanisms of uh, bullying as well. So those are the mechanisms how the abuse can be seen. Now this is not unique only to sport, this is also something that occurs in society in general. Sport is a microcosm environment with some unique situations
1: within society. So that is the mechanisms and and what it's based on. And you touched upon online and social media. Now when I grew up we didn't have this online, we didn't have social media, and so when you left school you left the sport you kind of left whatever let's say abuse might be happening so now that we have social media and everyone is connected how has that changed the scope of of psychological abuse in sport? That is a very relevant
0: question. It's one that is, I think, a big concern for athletes in particular and in my position as a team physician and someone who works in athlete welfare this is one of my biggest areas of concern. Because as you were right, before an athlete could leave the playing field where perhaps they were being heckled for not doing a good job or there was criticism they could leave and go home to a safe place but now with the social media they can't escape Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, any uh, Instagram. There's always someone that's that's ready to criticize and I, I must say that it's a lot easier to criticize someone if you're doing it on social media than doing it face to face. So in fact a lot of athletes can't escape people that are being quite um, negative towards them. And so uh, what I try to do with athletes in trouble is is try to get them to let go of their social media, at least not looking at it, to try and um, be able
1: to escape from the harm. And that has to be difficult, especially with the younger generation, or the millennial generation, if you will, because they're connected. You know, we're all connected, and that can even cause anxiety to not be on those social media channels yes. as well. It's absolutely
0: very true because that they are connected, and in fact, a lot of athletes use social media to improve their profiles, to promote their um, sponsorship, and and to gain popularity within within the business realm of sport. So uh, it is a challenge for them, and and. Uh, it's one that's hard to control within a team environment you can work on um, people's uh, the culture of respect within the team environment but you cannot influence the culture of respect within the full social
1: media i mean impossible exactly (sighs) impossible so what do you say to people who say to you well isn't this just part of the game isn't this just part of being in the team whether it's hazing or whether it's you know, a coach coming down really hard on you, repeatedly hard on you, or, or fellow, whether it be fellow participants, teammates, the coaches, the entourage. It's just part of the game, right? This, isn't that how it goes when you play like, competitive sports? Well, certainly that, that is what we're trying to change. You've just described the culture,
0: an enabling culture. The culture that says it's okay, we give permission within sport not to treat each other with respect because that's sport and I think that's the root of the problem, we need to have leadership, a leadership that takes ownership of changing the culture within sport to say it's not okay. Now to be very clear, I'm not talking about the coach that comes down and says to an athlete you didn't perform your best, you need to push harder and you need to go harder. That can be very empowering and enabling to an athlete. What we're talking about is perhaps a coach or another athlete or someone else in the entourage who deliberately and repeatedly abuses the athlete with the intent of harming them. So it's very different from say a coach that's just working hard to encourage someone. So that's what I'm referring to and that's where we have to change the culture to say it's not okay. It's not okay in school. It's not okay in the church. It's not okay in the family situation. And it's not okay in sport to have the culture which is denigrating negative and has a
1: negative impact on people's psychological and eventually also physical health. Yeah, and what, what I was really struck by in your talk yesterday was the people who are the brunt of this abuse percentage-wise was, was really shocking to me. So can you talk a little bit about that? So we're talking about prevalence. How
0: common is this? And we now have data from around the world in many countries and in all continents to say that this is not unique to one continent. We also have data that it occurs in all forms of sport. So it, one cannot say, well, I belong to this sport uh, and I'm immune because it's not in this sport. So all sports are, effective and are affected and we do know that as the num- as you rise in the elite nature of sport you have a higher risk, and particular in the point where you're at the imminent success, where you have a lot on stake just to make it to the next level. There's, that's a particularly high risk. We also know that there are certain populations within the sporting context where these populations seem to have a higher prevalence and that includes women versus male athletes. Uh, It also includes uh, athletes that may have identified as LGBTQ plus and it also are athletes living with a disability. Now these particular populations tend to have a higher prevalence and um, this does mirror what we see in society in general for prevalence of harassment and abuse unfortunately. So uh, in dealing with these specific populations, specific uh, care needs to be taken to ensure that the boundaries, roles, responsibilities, uh, and general uh, behaviors, policies, and procedures address these particular populations.
1: And where should this be starting at youth sports? Where should this awareness be starting? Yes, it's a very good
0: question. And uh, thank you for raising the child athlete, because in fact, the child athlete is also quite vulnerable and the child athlete is particularly vulnerable because they cannot give consent and they have a lack of power. So without that ability to give consent or speak for themselves they are particularly vulnerable and even from parents who can also be abusive uh, through pushing their children at a elite level of sport. And children are not equipped always with the ability to to um, advocate for themselves uh, in sport or in in general, so awareness needs to be raised at the at the young level with parents, with entourage, uh, with
1: coaches, at all levels. And what can so what can we do? What can sports participants do? Anywhere from the coaches to the parents to the entourage to the athletes, how can we help change this culture culture and aid in prevention of um, psychological injury and abuse in sport? Well, that's one of the important points I want to make
0: in this podcast, is that each and every one of us in sport has the, has the ability to stop this. But not only the ability, we have the responsibility. So each and every one of us, within our own role in sport, must stop and say, hmm, does the sport organization that I belong to have policies and procedures to handle abuse and harassment? Are there codes of conduct for the behavior of everyone in my sport program? Is there a way that we can report abuse in my sport and mechanisms to manage those cases appropriately? And if they're not there, then you can get them there.
1: How, how would you get them there?
0: Well, you can use resources online. The IOC will have some resources that will be available online in the fall of 2018. So that would be November, December 2018. They will be online. Currently, right now, there are tools online uh, on the IOC website on raising awareness on harassment and abuse in sport. Uh, so that is available now. The tools for policy and procedures will be available in the fall 2018. Now if you're a medical person involved in sport you can also equip yourself with the ability and the skills to learn how to recognize harassment and abuse, the signs and symptoms how to manage uh, any athlete that comes to you with an allegation, how do you handle it, as well develop around you the treatment team that you will require. So what's your treatment plan? Who do you refer to? How do you refer? Who's the psychologist that will support you? Who's the physician that deals with sexual abuse perhaps? And what are the legal authorities outside of sport that you need to have on your hotline when you need urgent uh, support?
1: and you had mentioned recognizing the signs and symptoms so can you talk about what some of those signs and symptoms are and, and let's say outside of the the athlete is telling you right. this is what's going yes. on that's an obviously clear sign but yes. let's say they're not telling you what's going on well in fact i think
0: you will we'll find from the literature that most athletes do not talk about their abuse while they're in sport because the process of abuse often silences the athlete. And we see time and time again that we learn about harassment abuse after they have retired. So in fact there are signs and symptoms that can be visible during sport that if we don't recognize them we won't notice. And these can be psychological, it can be the athlete who um, behaves erratically the athlete who takes risks greater than other athletes, the athlete who plays very well or trains well until a particular person walks on the field, the athlete who maybe perhaps dabbles in drug and alcohol more so than they should or are not performing well, uh, both in school or work or in sport. Physically, it may be the athlete who comes in with a sexually transmitted disease. It may be someone who takes extra risks and gets more injuries than, than other athletes. I had one particular athlete that um, didn't fit into any of those categories. The my, my, um, way I was tweaked with her is that her injury wasn't getting better. And it should have been getting better. And none of my investigations showed why it wasn't getting better until I finally said, are you enjoying sport? Yes, yes, yes. And I said, well, I don't understand why this isn't getting better. And she said, if I come here, I don't have to go to training where my coach is abusing me. So if I come to therapy, I can avoid sport. So beware of those things that aren't making sense, ask yourself could this be abuse or harassment and at that point open the door and say sometimes athletes have things that bother them that they're scared to tell and if you ever need to tell me something I'm an open ear I will listen to you and I will help you.
1: And that seems like great advice for medical professionals so a lot of physios listen to BJSM and, and other medical professionals um, if, if you are the physio, do you recommend any questions to ask if you think something is happening? How do you approach them respectfully? Because you don't want to approach the athlete and then them not come back to you. Absolutely. And that's a very good question. And In fact, the physiotherapy, massage
0: therapists, athletic therapists are often front line and they've developed a close relationship in a safe environment with that athlete. So, in fact, you might be the first point of contact for someone and to build, build that relationship of trust. And it never hurts to say, you know, I've noticed with other people or I know with other athletes, sometimes when I see this kind of situation, they've, they've been having difficulties of harassment and abuse. If this is the case for you, with you, please know that I'm a safe person, that you can come and talk to me and I'll make sure that it stops and I'll get you help.
1: So kind of going outside of them versus yes. being accusatory or going exactly. at them full force. Yeah. I think
0: it's, it's easier to start outside. And then if they say, th- you know, no, I'm fine, good. But maybe further down the road, they'll say, hey, I need to talk now. I'm ready to talk now. And she or he was someone who I think I can trust. And they may not disclose right away. They may disclose later, but they'll remember that you opened the door and you said you were caring. And in fact, if they, um, that might be the open the door to, to actually speak now, or it might be later.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think something that was mentioned yesterday during the seminar was that there was an athlete who loved their sport, loved their sport, and then they said, oh, I, I, I quit.
0: Yes, we do know that there's risks uh, and impacts to harassment and abuse. And the athlete impacts could be physical illness. Psychological illness, emotional, volatile mood states, um, behavioural such as dropout, mental health issues, social exclusion and economic loss from from the drop of the sport. But the sport itself also has impacts and that is a reputational damage, loss of players from dropping out early, loss of sponsorship, reduced uh, public confidence, loss of trust and general asset depreciation. So these impacts to the athlete also affect sport and so dropout is one of many. Uh, There are many other physical and emotional uh, impacts to some athletes. Now some athletes are quite resilient other athletes are less resilient and in fact um, these psychological impacts we know from the literature last well on into life. They don't end when sport ends and they don't end when the abuse ends. These can often tend to be long-standing
1: and difficult to manage. Mm So I feel like we spoke a lot about what the research is showing. Is there anything we missed uh, that we didn't touch upon that the research is showing now? Well, there's lots. Yeah. We, we do have a nice
0: research base but there are lots of research needs in this area. There's other research um, that shows that uh, there's certain myths that we can bust. We know that um, the wearing a less amount of clothing does not put the athlete at increased risk of sexual ab- abuse. We do know that touching as in the normal uh, touching that's required when you're spotting an athlete for a move or you're requiring to hold them before they, you know, leave the blocks or within the normal context of sport, the touching is not at an increased risk of, of abuse and harassment. So these are myths that we've learned from in literature that are not at higher risk. We do know that, r- that where risk occurs for harassment and abuse, in particular sexual harassment abuse is when alcohol is involved in uh, end of team events, in events away from the field of play, in the locker rooms, the coach's car, and in hotel rooms these are at risk places and as a coach or a physiotherapist or a medical professional we should have codes of conduct that we don't take an athlete alone in our car we don't treat alone in a hotel room we don't share hotel rooms i mean these are basic principles in codes of conduct and behavior that we must adhere to for our own protection against wrongful accusal as well
1: and i would think if you're the athlete um especially maybe a a younger athlete or even up through professional level and if you kind of feel like, boy, this isn't right, should you? obviously you should pull yourself out of that situation. But a lot of athletes will say, well, if I don't do this, it may affect my career. It may affect my trajectory into the next level. So how, as the athlete, do you handle that situation?
0: So I think that's often the case. Uh, it's a very tough situation for athletes that feel powerless in that situation because they need that person that makes them feel uncomfortable to move forward in their sport. So that's why one of our solutions is that we need athletes to be empowered and have a voice in their sport. So if the athlete is on the on the executive boards, athletes are on the committees and they have an athletes committee where they are empowered to speak up Uh, that will help with that situation. In addition, there should be someone identified in each sport organization that is the athlete welfare officer that is at arm's length from the organization part of the sport system but at arm's length that an athlete can go to and say, you know, I don't know if this is anything but this is making me feel uncomfortable and can I talk to you about it? And that independent athlete welfare
1: officer should be trained and equipped to handle these situations. Yeah, that's that's incredible, and and I hope that that exists in. in well, a that's lot of... that's
0: the model, and part of the policies and procedures is to involve that kind of structure, so that athletes, first of all, have the empowered voice to say what they wish and not wish uh, in their in their environment, and as well have that mechanism of um, an independent safety person to to address concerns with.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Now. Where does the research need to go? Where where are you in in that spectrum?
0: Lots of places we can go. We need more prevalence data, particularly in the vulnerable um, populations that I mentioned. We also need more prevalence data in other forms of sport and in some parts of the world where we have little data. We also need uh, information on how effective our interventions are for prevention do these programs work and what works best in different settings. We also need work on um, how we can support people afterwards. What is the best mechanism to support people and when I say people I include not only the athlete but those around the athlete that are negatively affected by the culture and that are teammates perhaps other members of the entourage and members of that athlete's family because remember an athlete is part of a larger structure and any harm to an athlete affects those around them in a trickle-down effect.
1: And if someone were interested in getting involved in this research, how can they do that? Well there is uh, certainly social research going on in the
0: area So, uh, you know, there's researchers around the world and uh, in uh, Europe and and, um, North America as well. So um, we're always looking for subjects and and people to get involved. Uh, The IOC can help uh, organize that and um, connect people. Uh, But please, if if someone approaches, a scientist approaches your sport organization,
1: says, I'd like to research in this area, please help them. We need the information. Great, and so now we're getting to the end here of the podcast, but what, what would your top three takeaways, two or three takeaways be for the listeners on psychological injury and abuse in sport?
0: Thank you. Uh, to sum up, I think the most important thing is um, awareness. I think we all need to be aware that this happens and we need to be eyes open and believing that we, we need to see this. The second is that I want to empower all of the listeners that you play an important role. Each and every one of you listening to me today has a role to play in protecting our athletes and those involved in sport. And the third thing is that you can act. There's things that you can do today or in the next days to, to prevent this and to also manage properly.
1: Well, I, I thank you so much for taking the time out of a very busy schedule here at the IOC World Conference in Monaco. Um, Dr. Margot Mountjoy, this was great, and, and we're also thankful for you sharing this really important information that I don't think gets out to the public as much as it should. Thank you, Karen, and a special thank you to
0: the BJSM, who's published our statements on the uh, harassment and abuse in sport, and
1: for this podcast. Yeah. Greatly appreciate the support. Thank you very much. And everyone, uh, thank you so much for listening uh, to the BJSM podcast.
0: Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on
1: social media.